Okay, so two-parter on the morale. Oh, we're beginning a two-parter on the morale? I'm going to do this because this is a, a short and sweet, kind of perfect perfect length article that Becky Kagan wrote. Becky Shot. Is it Shot or Scott? I never it's Shot. I think it's Shot. Kagan Shot. The Great Dive Podcast is hosted by your buddies, James and Brando. We own. So Michael was uh, it was a real pleasure to meet old yeah. Michael Menduno. Got to chat with him for a bit. So talking about the growth of the Aquacore over the, you know from thirty years ago to today and how the tech market has changed. So he gave a little snippet and then he later gave like a full like hour and a half presentation. Mm-hmm. You know the, like the next day, but in that little snippet, he invited a couple people up to talk and Jared Jablonski came up and said some stuff. Groovy. Lamar Hires came up and said some stuff. Groovy. Drew Richardson from Patty came up and said some stuff. <laughs> Groovy. It was a, but it was a pretty. It was really nice. Michael does a really good job at like really wanting to, you know, get all the piss and vinegar out of the community and Try real, realize us, that let's every, all join in arms. <laughs> he, uh, well, you're supposed to be brothers. Is, yes, you know, there's are, a lot of infighting though. But yeah, yeah, and, and, and Michael's definitely. Uh, we're all brothers. And, yes. And put well, your that's what I like about Everybody him, kind of a guy. Yeah, yeah, you really. knew that from his first aquacore. You know, he just was like, let's, you know, we're all in the same. We all love diving, allegedly. I think that's where that's where I split passes. No, they don't love diving. They love themselves. Some of them. That's what I mean. There's yeah, yeah. there's those that don't love diving, that they love themselves. Well, and I want what, them to get the fuck out of diving. Well, I tell you what, like I... Um, I was having this conversation with a couple people down there. It seems like there's a part of the community that is diving and they love diving. It's in their blood and they're in the industry, but they're still diving. And then they're like, I'm making some money along the way. Mm-hmm. Things are great. And then you got a lot of these big guys that have been running the industry for so long. It really yeah. seems like they're it's just business. It seems like they're like, how the fuck do we make it one more year? You know, what do we got to do to get through this year? Again, yeah. and again, and again, and again. Is it to get through the year or to get through the year with more profits? Because it is a grow or die it, it philosophy it, well, it and business. Like, and well, if that's seemed, all you see, that's all you're going to get. You're going to lose the love of the, the actual. Well, that's, I think, what I'm saying is that they've, you know, they've lost a lot of the passion. Yeah. It's because. Well, they it, need it, to it's leave. Moved, it's moved <laughs> to such just a business. And, well, that's what I mean. They've, yeah. they've lost it. They've lost the, the, they've lost the love and passion for the art. So Go. Go, you've you contributed. Let you, the new people that have the love for it drive them and use you as a stepping stone. You know, stand on the shoulders of giants, kind of thing, and get yeah, the fuck did, out. Yeah, you did your part. Now get the fuck out. You don't love it anymore. We'll remember you for what you were, but get there's the a, fuck out. Well, there's a lot of faces that have been around for a long time that you see. And they that, can that, get the fuck out. <laughs> that you see. 
<laughs> that you see that you can tell that like I I got to make it three more years before I think I can retire. Just got to make it three more years. They're they're like. They're like the guy on the the assembly line yeah. for General Motors, you know. That mentality, in, I just up in Flint, uh, Michigan, you know. It's mm, it's like dark. that. That mentality shouldn't be in the scuba business. It shouldn't be in the world. Like I just got to do this. So you've been a slave. You think things all of a sudden are going to change? Like, snap! I retired. I don't have to be a slave to the system. Wrong. You're a slave to this. Forever. Check now. You're still a slave because the mentality doesn't go away. That's my perception and my little words of wisdom for whatever they're, they're fucking worth. But when I look at people, like I looked at, I watched my father do that shit, and and then he quote unquote retires, and now what? He doesn't do now. He now he doesn't know what to do with himself because the job was him, and even though he complained about it for thirty fucking years, anyway. And a lot of people do that shit. I hate this, but I gotta just squeeze out a couple more years. It's no longer fun. I mean, we both know somebody who's like that. Oh, who yeah. Came in with a love for it, I think, and that's gone. So, um, hung out with uh, a lot of cool people. Who was the coolest? The hotel bar where we were staying at, at the Rosin Center. The bartender. Was the pit. Was the coolest. Was the, so, that they call it the pit, right? Because yeah. it like, kind of drops down. Yeah. They they don't call it the pit. Like everybody says, oh, oh hey, yeah. we're going to the pit you know, right. later after the show. Oh yeah, 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 we'll see you there. And that's I'm telling you, that's where the real business takes place at, well, it, it at, a, at a show like Dima. You know, I think at many businesses, the, the real business takes place at the dinner in the bar. I mean, just golf course, the, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, the 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 conversations, the laughs, the yeah. stories, the letting loose. You know, yeah. you're. you're you're not officially working, but, but you're you definitely, that's you're where you're really info. putting in the real work. Well, the reason being is, do you want to work with someone you don't really enjoy? The, and that, no matter what kind of great product you have, if if an asshole is representing it, you know that the business, you're going to get effed somehow. So you don't do business right. with them, whereas you get to really know someone who's representing the product, you know, after a few cocktails and they loosen up and you get to know them. So that's why the old yeah, that old adage: don't trust anyone who doesn't drink. Don't trust them because they're holding in something. <laughs> they're trying to keep the their mouth from babbling something that they, they don't want other people to know. Right, right. Well, that's where you really get to know them. Well, and that's it. <laughs> when you start to get scratch the surface and get into a little, like, I don't want you to. Person, I don't want you to know me. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I'm getting at. They're hiding some. It's like guys with beards We're hiding some. Yeah, our chins. <laughs> <laughs> No, but had good fun with the the peeps from uh, over at Light Monkey. So you didn't tell and me who this person was, was the cool. Well, I mean, I'm getting oh, there. I got to oh. set it up so that it Oh, well, show. you were saying it's down at the pit, but yeah. But you're trying to trying to throw a little shout outs. Light Monkey guys, cool. Yeah. So I hung out with them. People over at Fourth Element. Bobby, got to get to meet the, the, Paul, the owner of Fourth Element, was a real cool cat. Yeah. Talked to him about diving and. Drunk people hitting on uh, his staff at the, at the show <laughs> at, at the, the, like, big, the big TDI after yeah. party that we went to, and it was hilarious. Was Brett Gilliam there? Yeah, I got to meet. Yeah, oh, did you? Yeah, talk I got because yeah. I was hanging around with uh, Larry Green. You know, that oh, last okay. day. Yeah, yeah. So you know, we walked into the show with Larry, and he was like in his element, man. Like everybody's like yeah, clamoring yeah. To, to hug yeah. him and talk to him and. Joe Odom came over to the table, and nice. I mean, those two must have like grabbed each other and hugged for a minute and a half without yeah, letting go yeah. of each other. You know, told some crazy, just some crazy old cave diving stories, and saw Brett. Went, got to chat with him and talk to, like, shake his hand and talk to him a few minutes about. Man, I really can't believe, like, you, one, you returned my phone call, <laughs> and then like sat on the phone with me for 
30 uh-huh. minutes that day, you know, just talking about cool. prepping up for that show. And he's like, oh, man, I just really appreciate, you know, people who, who have a love for it. Right. You know, and. Good deal. So, yeah, a lot of good, it, was a good, it was a good show. Yeah, I wish I would, that would have been nice. I would have liked to have met him for sure. And Joe Odom for that matter. And so I ran into a booth for this Wreck Diving magazine. Yeah. Which we've got a bunch of issues, you know, over yeah, the I've years. Got some. And yeah, it's, it's a cool magazine, all dedicated to shipwreck cave diving, diving all over. This is shipwreck diving. It's not all dedicated to cave. It, Reef diving? It's uh, quarry diving. <laughs> it's, it's, a specialized, diving. it's a specialized magazine that focuses on. And free diving. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 it's not free diving. No. Um, I thought that's more along. Yes, way. dedicated to wreck diving. Because we were talking about doing this very thing, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. I was like, oh, shit, I'm going to grab that magazine to see if there's something cool in there that we can use on this topic that we're coming up to. Oh, before I get to that, though. Uh-oh. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Great Dive Podcast. Oh, welcome back. You're here with post-Dema. Post-Dema. Gotta, gotta <laughs> come down with a cold Jamesy. Shaking too many hands, talking to too many people, staying up too late, not getting enough sleep at the show. Jamesy. And and you're talking to, I don't feel a fucking bit sorry for the old bastard, Brando. <laughs> and before we get going into today's show, we have a huge thank you to give. Always, when people send us stuff, we have to. Oh, man. And this is, a, I mean. This, this is, is what makes it all worthwhile. This is it right here. <laughs> this is what it's all about. <laughs> Sending us shit. <laughs> stuff. I shouldn't say shit. Stuff send and money. Send, send money gift. and stuff. So yeah. you you listeners are awesome. It's All of you are awesome. The ones who like go out of their way to, to send us thank yous and send us donations. And those of you who have sent me money for a donation of T-shirts that we ran out of <laughs> sizes. Or we got to figure out how to get more sizes. They're coming. Be patient with us, please. Um, but old Heidi the Swede. Heidi the Swede. Got to love Heidi the Swede. Heidi and Ron. Is that Heidi on the cover of that card? No, it's oh. just some kid. Just they sent us a holiday person. holiday season gift card. Nice. Or no, they, they sent us a holiday season card. The very nice note inside of it. A couple of bags of uh, specialty coffee from out there where they live, out in Utah. That's awesome. Bag for each of us. But their card like says, it. Dear James and Brando, we thought you'd enjoy some delicious coffee roasted in the lovely state of Utah. Thanks for a wonderful and educational and entertaining diving podcast. You've been joining us for Friday night dinner and drinks since we discovered TGDP. Cheers, Ron and Heidi. Now that is uh, pretty good. That's awesome. That's pretty damn good. Yes, that's exactly. where I like us to be joined as we as we should as we would be. Right as we were right. getting ready to dissolve the show out of <laughs> out of just frustration <laughs> and and being overworked, you get something like this that comes in the mail and it just brings you back to life. I'm paying fifty bucks a month to work. <laughs> <laughs> Right. 200 hours what what the hell no i'm kidding i'm exaggerating uh, a, a thousand times over but yeah because it's really fun. 250 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's really a lot more than that i'm right yeah that being said let's get into uh this week's show so we're gonna get back into some wreck diving and continuing on from earlier this month where we were talking about the great storm of 1913 There was, in late November of 1966, another big storm that came up in a bizarre squall that 
ripped a very famous 600-foot steel freighter in two, broke it in half like you'd break a pencil. And that's the wreck of the Daniel J. Morrell. It is uh, an interesting story. It's one of those weird ones, too, where the uh, the, the stern, the, the aft section just kept chugging along. <laughs> yeah, because it was What still, is it, five miles away? It was, uh, yeah, I think four or five miles away. Yeah. It's, uh, it was still under power. Yeah, the front end fell off and... Or the bow fell off, and the, the pointy, stern, the pointy, the pointy part, part <laughs> just the, the, the roundy, point, roundy the square part, part kept down, going, and then the the butt end kept chugging away. Yeah, which is I don't know how often that happens, but I find it you know in the Great Lakes shipwrecks that's that's an unusual kind of you deal, know right? We have you, two sections. When you say I'm diving the morale, you're like, which one? Right, you know that's what you always have. I'm diving the bow, or I'm diving the stern section. It's weird, but at the same time, like when I'm looking at like photos of of these racks, and especially some of the artists' rend- renderings of yeah. the, uh, paintings and stuff of them, and you see like these waves just like towering over. And you, when you listen to old um, Dennis Hale talk mm-hmm. about being on the deck of that ship and looking up 40, 50 feet in the air at this wave, wave that's yeah. coming down on top of them. You know, um, but when you look at the length of this 600 foot, you call it skinny, even though it's got a what yeah. a 50 foot beam on the damn thing. It's skinny in comparison to the length of the ship. Mm-hmm. And I look at like, and then when you see the see and you know that it's broken in half on the bottom, you're like, that looks so flimsy. Yeah, but it's They're not in so the middle. much. Yeah, it's how how yeah. Yeah, you know, uh, speaking of those waves things, there's uh, a lot of websites and and people posting their their uh, merchant marines and whatnot taking videos during the storms from like you know the uh, the pilot house. They're inside right, right. and they're and they're watching the storms come come across the bow and yeah, you're you're, you're in the you're, wheelhouse, yeah, you're, you're watching thirty forty yeah. feet above the deck of the ship, and you just like. Yeah. Covered in water splashes. And you're watching them go in and oh, out the, the troughs of the waves and over the crest and you're it's a mate it's really <laughs> you're dropping, you know, fifty feet right, <laughs> and right. you rise over the top of it. It's insane. Like what do they what do they pay like everybody in this boat half a million a year? And I, I don't think so. <laughs> like, we, I know that's what I'm saying. Though. Like, exactly. like you, you would think like well, I think people do see, it for the adventure. Oh yeah, yeah. You gotta have the love that, that's another like the people that are just doing it because it's the only job they can get, I, I don't know if there's many of those. I think you have to have that love of the sea, you know. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't. You don't choose it. It chooses even, you. It's even just like that. Especially these Great Lakes guys going out in November, knowing that it's just the, the most brutal time on the lakes. Yeah. And this was very, very end of November. I don't know if they. It's a source of pride. You know, I'm not in that that circle, right? So I don't know if they're the merchant marines. They take a some pride in being able to we got this cargo through in november bitches oh i'm sure there is you know? like when you're uh like, like if i was like a newbie yeah. newbie little uh watchman on a on a boat and we're, we're sitting at the old uh dockside tavern one day and i'm bragging about you know uh just say, doing my first sale in uh august <laughs> <laughs> you know uh unloading some corn and uh alpina <laughs> and then you get somebody like this and it's like Ah, Sonny. <laughs> Start singing the Shut Edmund your Fitzgerald. Pie hole. Shut your pie hole, Sonny. <laughs> I tell you. 
Gordo, come on over. Let's tell him a little story. Have you ever seen the gales of November, laddie? Well, I took some corn out in uh, Alfina on uh, July 4th. It was flat calm. Yeah. Speaking of that, let's talk about Becky Scott. Shot. You Becky, mean sh- Becky Shot. Becky Kagan Scott. Isn't Becky it Scott? Kagan Shot. Shot? It's S-C-H. O-T-T. I'm S C H I'm S C H in it. We could start a, a rap. <laughs> Becky <laughs> Kagan get, Scott. Can you do that uh, beatbox stuff and we'll get, we'll get going? Diving the Daniel J. Morrell fifty years later. So. This was an article that and photography that she put into Wreck Diving Magazine. This was from issue 41 from 2017. Some awesome photographs, I'm sure. She does an incredible job. So Becky starts off by saying that diving on shipwrecks in the Great Lakes has gone from being a passion to an obsession for me in the past few years. I've been moving. I've been moved by researching their stories and visiting the wrecks to photograph them firsthand. These ships have stories of heroism, stories of tragedy, mystery, and stories of great survival. These ships are now time capsules, sitting on the bottom, preserved in time. Diving them is like visiting an underwater museum where they look like ghost ships sailing on the bottom of the lake. One of these time capsules is the Daniel J. Morrell, a 603-foot-long Great Lakes freighter that sank in the chilly waters off Port Austin, Michigan, just 50 years ago on November 29th. 1966 and this was obviously 2016 that she wrote this article right well if you do your math yeah uh yeah calculator real quick let me uh, hold on let me, <laughs> let me do the cal- let me do the math like the kids do nowadays well we do between the two of us we let's have four we have 40 fingers and toes <laughs> yeah son of a bitch it's 50 years sweet baby jesus 50 years seems to go in a blink these days so it's a relatively young shipwreck. Yeah, it's definitely one of the newer mm-hmm. ones mm-hmm. out in the lakes. I mean, a we lot of the stuff is from like the late 1800s, you know, that we dive, right. early 1900s that we dive. You know, this one being from the mid 60s. I mean, that, or this is this is one of the few wrecks that people, wrecks that people remember. Yeah. You know, the the Fitzgerald. You know, yeah, people, people are people alive remember that, remember that when it went down. Yeah. yeah, you know, it is those stories of the tragedy and the heroism and survival that she talks about right there. Yes. That are so captivating. You know, even from, you know, tales of like old wrecks from, you know, 100 years ago or more. It's fascinating stuff. Really to be out on the Great Lakes and see those waters how absolutely vast. Like down at the at the show even, you know, talking with people about being from the Great Lakes area. Yeah. And they're like, oh, yeah, I hear, you know, these Florida guys. You know, I, uh, I hear those are pretty big lakes up there. I'm like, you have no, no. idea. <laughs> if you just, to call them lakes is really not giving them right. due justice. I mean, it's, they're, they're you know, for all intents and purposes, it's, it's an ocean. I mean, it, yes, mind you, you can get to the other side in a day, but... <laughs> By the same token, while it's you're a, out in the middle of it, you, you can't see anything else except right. water. Yeah, these Florida guys are used to their yeah. big, big Lake Okeechobee. Yes, <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm like, it's like 
Okeechobee. 5,000. I laugh at Okeechobee. <laughs> That's like 5,000 of those. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. More probably. Well, you always run into that when you say you're from the Great Lakes and you talk about the shipwrecks and people are astounded. Like, how could a, a boat that size be in the, in a lake? And you're like, it's not any old lake, number one. And, and they just can't comprehend until they see it themselves. So when right. you're on the shore and it's just like an ocean shore, you know, waves coming in and rocks and you know the west side of our state it's all sandy beach and it's very just oceanic it's like taking the country the united states you know making michigan like the united states right yeah. you got rocky sides on the on the east coast you got sandy beaches on the west coast <laughs> you know that kind of thing yeah anyway she says i read several books about the morel and its sole survivor's tale which captured my interest and inspired me to see the site for myself I did more research to understand what the ship and its crew went through and to help me tell its story better as a photojournalist. I couldn't believe that this maritime disaster was only 50 years ago. I'd heard stories about the Carl D. Bradley and the famous Edmund Fitzgerald, both ships that were similar to the Daniel J. Morrell, with a similar loss of life, and I felt drawn to dive it and capture its final resting place 50 years later, to see how it rests today and to retell her story. And yeah, so like the uh, Fitzgerald, the old Morel also had 29 bodies on it and all of them went in. But uh, on the Morel, there, there was that one sole survivor that right. the Fitzgerald didn't have. Dennis Hale. Dennis Hale. So she talks about the sinking and says that the Daniel J. Morel was making its last trip of the season with its 29 crewmen when it was caught in the 75-mile-per-hour winds and more than 25-foot seas near the thumb of Michigan in Lake Huron. The massive steel ship twisted in the giant waves just 18 miles offshore as it was tossed about the wheelhouse watchman named Dennis Hale was sleeping in his bunk when a loud thump awoke him. Just after that, the ship's general alarm sounded, and he ran out on the deck wearing no shoes or pants. He wore only a coat and his underwear. He saw the ship bending and starting to buckle, and then the ship began to tear apart. The captain made no distress call, and by the time the bow separated from the stern, the radio was dead, and there was no emergency power supply. Some of the Morel's crewmen went into the 34-degree freezing water wearing life jackets, probably unaware that no help was coming. Hale boarded a life raft just behind the wheelhouse on the deck of the ship. As they waited for the bow to sink below them, they saw another ship's lights and thought they were being rescued. Those lights turned out to be those of the separated stern that had turned around and then began to ram into the bow, sending the men on the raft into the water. Hale made it back onto the raft with three other crewmen. They watched the aft section of the ship motor off with lights still shining and described it as a giant wounded beast with its head cut off. They never saw the stern go down. Dang. And um, Yeah, it went five miles. <laughs> yeah. Like, hey, <laughs> what about us? But, you know, Hale said, uh, if, if you listen to his story, his personal story, he talks about being sleeping at the time basically sleeping in his underwear, hears this big clang, and he assumed it was just like the anchor, like like shooting up and like crashing back into the, into the boat. Yeah. And then he heard another one. He was like, oh, I better go see what the hell's going on. Jumps up, goes to turn on his bunk light, no power, and he's like, oh, oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't we have any power? And he's in his it's underwear. Like, yeah. So he just throws on his peacoat to run out, and then he realizes he's never going to be going back into his room to get anything yes. else after that, right? Because it's like, 
we're going down right now. And later on, he says... How warm is it in that ship if you're sleeping in your underwear and it's freaking November? Well, I'm assuming inside, you know, uh, you know, got a a nice blanket and... uh, You're still... I'm still... I'd be bundled up like, what the hell? It's steel, you know, steel is cold and it dissipates the heat. He he says that he thinks being in his underwear, being in his underwear is what saved his life because he saw all the, all his buddies that were in that raft around him, their clothes froze solid first. Yeah. And he thinks that uh, that had a lot of two, lot to do with them freezing to death. Whereas he didn't have any clothes on him. I don't know. Just as he just had in his all of my pe- medic just training, just had his pea coat. <laughs> they said you're better off if you don't have any clothes on outside. Even if you, well, it, one of the first things you're supposed to do if you do fall in the water is get out of your wet clothes. Correct. That's right? what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. and as, as terrible as it was to be yes. no clothing on, it's better than having that cold, cold wet clothes. clothes yeah. Just like if you're dealing with hypothermia on a dive mm-hmm. and, a uh, and, and you, you get out of the water right. and especially those those of you who still dive wetsuits you know you got that shivering uncontrollable shivering got to get out of the wetness nobody yeah. wants to take that suit off because they know the wind's going to hit them and they're going to be really cold but in reality that's exactly what you have to do you got to yeah. get that moisture off your body right because that that convection of the air going around the wet removes just pulls the yeah, heat away from your body away. so he thinks that's what uh saved him could be and uh hmm ultimately was the demise of his buddies in the boat with him. Mm-hmm. 37 hours. Jeez, oh, Pete. Yeah, before he was rescued. He said, like, when you, when you listen to him talk, he's, he was physically in the water for about 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And that was 34-degree water, they were saying. 20 minutes and 34-degree water in your skibs. 34 degrees, I think they were exaggerating. November. I, th- I cold, still think end it, of cold exa- November. Could, I would have said be, 39. Yeah. Because uh, that hot 39 degree water at the bottom is rising now well yeah, yeah. you know you know how the the turn works right so you know that it's okay let's but call no it, let's actually call it 38 and a half i don't know I, like i say i just it could have been i mean did he have did he have a thermometer it's 34 guys let's get this down for the books i'm well, not trying to take any credit away from the man <laughs> becky scott said <laughs> Shot. Are we going to argue about everything today? <laughs> yes. <laughs> what do you, why would today be any different? <laughs> the three crewmen on the aft with Dennis Hale slowly passed away one at a time, shoeless and pantless. He burrowed under the men and didn't expect to stay alive. He well, said, now we're getting to the real. <laughs> I used my dead buddies as a blanket. He said he was praying to live but hoping to die. With a body paralyzed in pain, on the 37th hour, his raft was spotted by a helicopter. The Morel was classified as a major marine disaster with 28 of its 29 crewmen perishing. That is insane. That is a long time to be freezing like that. Can you just imagine the torture? Yeah. But just goes to show you how hard it really is to kill a human being. You know what? That So, again, like when you, when you watch like these old interviews of Dennis... That's a couple things that he says is one, he's like, I did a lifetime of praying in, in you know, yeah, in 37 yeah, 30 hours, hours, you know? Yeah. And then another thing he says, it does go to show how resilient the human body is. Right. And like, there's, you always have something more in you. Yes. If you, if you mm-hmm. stay focused and you keep working, he said he would just like start yelling, would give him like a huge, like surge of yeah, adrenaline, surge of adrenaline thing, yeah. and warmth. And if you just yeah. keep fighting, you've always got something else in you. And amazing, it's just not your time story. to go, right? You know, yeah. I am. Uh, I go by that kind of. When it's your time, it's your time. I don't care if you're 
and it wasn't his time. So, so she talks about diving the site, and uh, the first dive that she did on the Morel was on a slightly windy and cloudy day. The site is located 18 miles offshore and is quite exposed. She says, we dropped into the water and descended to the stern. As we got deeper, the water got darker until out of that darkness, the smokestack appeared. We finally hit the deck and got oriented. She says here, the water temperature was 38 degrees Fahrenheit and the visibility was good. But with little sun that day, it seemed darker. It's pretty amazing that in, in 200 feet of water, if you do have the right conditions today out in Lake Huron, mm-hmm. Sunny day, midday, you can be in two hundred feet, and it's not. Yeah, it's, it's not, not black bad. as night. Mm-hmm. It's it's actually you still have the blue. Yes, down there to mm-hmm. a certain extent. We drop down to see the props and the steel lifeboat off to the port side in about two hundred and ten feet of water. The lifeboat was an eerie reminder of the loss of life on the ship as the silhouette of the giant steel freighter loomed in the background. From there, we checked out the galley where the dishes were still stacked in cabinets and bunk rooms. Our plan was ambitious because it also included a quick peek inside the engine room. We dropped down through the skylight and, after following the staircases, I looked over and saw a telegraph, a tool bench with tools still hanging, and above it glass jars with bolts, nuts, and screws on the ceiling. I could imagine this as someone's workstation, and now here it was, frozen in time after nearly 40 minutes of bottom time in the chilly water it was time to start our decompression obligation by the time we got to 50 feet the water was about 50 degrees fahrenheit and around 60 on the surface which was quite nice for finishing out our deco mm-hmm. pretty typical great lakes deco dive uh temps yeah yeah so that's the beauty of uh hitting those dives post you know, June into July, you know, where, August, where that, September, that, that surface say, temp yeah. starts to warm up because the bottom never really warms up. No, it's always out the of the, same, out yeah. of the mid mid to high thirties. Yes. So that starts to bite after twenty minutes. Oh yeah, that cold is is biting cold. Mm-hmm. So moving up into the really warm, toasty of fifty degrees, 50 degrees <laughs> exactly feels like heaven. Oh, it does. You're you're walking into a heated room. You know, you from from being outside, you know, how it is when you're out in the winter and then you walk in your house, you're like, Oh man, this is nice, right? You can take off your coat and it's warm. It's the same thing. You're you're cold, cold all over you. And even your face when you get to that fifty degree water is is welcoming, yeah. Yeah, we were talking with some guys down there in Florida when I was down, you know, doing uh, yeah. cave diving a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about the Great Lakes wrecks. And then we started talking about the temperature and they're like Sounds great, but no thanks. <laughs> we'll look at pictures. <laughs> like it's warmer. Zero yeah. interest. Well, it definitely is a different type of diving. And I would say that, you know, when you do Great Lakes diving, if, when that's your mainstay of diving, and then you do go to caves or bop down to, to do whatever wreck off the Florida coast, you're in heaven. You're just oh, like, yeah. you can see forever. It's light down at 200 feet, just like it was at 100 feet, pretty much. It's an very little difference and then uh the temperatures are a dream to work in no big old dry gloves trying to yeah being operate, able to uh clips and being able to photograph, feel and fully photo- function all your fingers yeah, yeah the finger dive, thing i i don't really have t- i mean sometimes you know what gets you a scooter in that 38 degree water or 35 degree water 
number one, the, the heat gets drawn away from you just from the convection of the water going around you so quickly, right? That yeah, sucks yeah. the heat away from you. But that one finger on that metal trigger on your scooter, <laughs> that heat sink of that metal trigger, you wouldn't think it. But that one finger, it is just the one finger for me. Rest of my time, I'm pretty good. If I'm not the frozen a, nub, yeah, the frozen index finger from. Uh, so I'd be switching my fingers on my trigger, trying to get one warm up. But yeah, that coldness is definitely something to be contended with, and gives you an idea of. I mean, a very faint idea of what Dennis Hale went through, but that just had to be hell. Being in, you know, and not knowing, like, what the hell? They're going to find my yeah, frozen and, ass of wet Not to mention the fear and the panic and, and it all happening without any preparation, yeah. no warning. Like, that alone is, is enough to break the, the psychology of most men. Which, do they know why it broke? Speaking of breaking. Um, you Did know, it hit interestingly, the, hit the bottom? so interestingly enough, they, uh, they do believe, um, that it was a high sulfur content in the metal, which was a with the age and then the cold mm-hmm. created a weakness in the metal. That's where it ultimately uh, led mm. to the snapping of, of the steel. Wow. Okay. Amazing. Yeah. You know, a steel plate that you could just, you could beat like... A hundred guys could just beat with sledgehammers. <laughs> yeah, nothing for, to it. For days and days and not even barely dent it. Just ripped in half like the foil on a, on a gum wrapper, you know? Just like the foil on a hot dog wrapper. Like the foil. <laughs> like Torn piece, to ribbons. Like, like a, a piece of aluminum foil about to wrap a sandwich. Like a Ginsu knife took apart a Coke can. <laughs> On the same day, we motored over to the bow section, four miles away. As we went down the line at around 150 feet, the intact wheelhouse came into view. The conditions were fantastic. No current, decent visibility. I captured some images of the bow, and we swam around behind the wheelhouse. Here is where the crew's quarters were, still marked above the doors, and this was where Dennis Hale would have stayed and emerged from during the storm. Below, on the deck, is where the raft would have been where the raft would have been launched from. This really put things into perspective, seeing it firsthand, and I personally wanted to see where the ship had been ripped in half. We swam with purpose at a decent pace to get to the break, passing cargo hold after cargo hold on the massive ship. Finally, we came to the end and stared at mangled steel where the ship was torn in half. It's just unbelievable to think that Mother Nature could do this to a vessel. I stared at the break as the ship sat so peacefully, wondering what kind of horrific sounds it made while tearing apart. It was a truly humbling sight to lay eyes upon, and I felt humbled to have seen it and been able to retell the story to keep its memory alive. Yeah, this is just a huge, massive, fascinating ship to see underwater. It's now, big. Yeah, it's big. Now, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, pretty, it's pretty much considered, obviously, a technical dive. Well, yeah. However... <laughs> Dumbasses! <laughs> you can do a—I mean, you can do a recreational dive on it, on the bow to to what to the um, what is that the the? It's an S, isn't it? The giant S. C. Oh, it's a C. That's right. For the Cromwell, isn't Cromwell or something? Crowell? Cambria. Cambria, uh, isn't it Cambria? <laughs> it's, <laughs> no, it's, I'm just, it's Scott. It sounds like I'm. It's, it's Scott. It's an S for Scott. <laughs> no. It's a C for shot. 
Yes, the uh, the Cambria Steam Bridge or uh, Steamship Company. Yes, I remember now. So yeah, when you go down that, you hit that big mass with the big famous yes. the big famous C on the Morel, which is for Cambria. I got you hit sure. that at like a hundred feet, yeah. right? And there's people that will go on and keep going. Well, nowadays, I mean, the boat captains would say like, "Oh, well, you can do a recreational dive on it. You need to have a hundred cubic feet of gas. You need right. to have a redundant bottle, like a." Pony bottle or a H valve or, or something air. or spare, spare air. air, a double double decker spare air or your snorkel, a really long snorkel. But I'm telling you, you you do that on that dive and you get to that sea, you're not going to stop at the hundred feet. No, you want to go see because you can see you can see the pilot house you right can there. See you're going. I'm going to go another check that out feet below you. Yeah. yeah. So you go down to the pilot house. Next thing you know, you're in 150 feet on your single tank. <laughs> Just chugging gas because yeah. you're just in awe. Yeah. And um, whatever. I mean, the captain doesn't care. Like, you pay your charter fee. <laughs> I take same, your live body back or your dead body back. It the, don't matter to me. It's the same hour and a half trip for him. <laughs> exactly. You know, whether you're laughing yeah. with your buddies telling stories. He already got he paid. Saw, yeah. Or you're laying on your left <laughs> side breathing O2 the whole way yeah. back. Yeah. You know, he's got plenty of time to make that phone call to uh, to EMS. So, <laughs> Hopefully. But, it's, yeah, it's I mean, you, you can EMS. do it, but it's. I mean, it really should be a, a technical dive only. Oh, yeah, by all means. Because otherwise you, you drop down for, for nothing of time to, to right. see. Why are you doing it? To say you've been there. Right, and that's that's not, yeah. Why don't you say you've been there correctly, you know, in a in a positive. Um, I've been there, and I intended to come back, and I went there to spend a few <laughs> yeah, minutes on it. I did it with the, the right gear and gas right, and for, brains, and yeah. I'm with you on that. Yeah, anyway. So she gives some great tips for diving in cold water. So those of you all over the world who are listening to the show that, that have never dove 39-degree water. Yearning. <laughs> just experience. Yearning. For those of you that, that look at the, um, the warm-up of 50 degrees that we go into for the decompression phases of the dive as colder than you've ever dove, <laughs> exactly. uh, she, gives, yeah. she gives some really nice tips for diving in cold water. And she says, I hear from a lot of divers that they'd love to dive the Great Lakes and see some of the shipwrecks themselves someday, but they get too cold, so they think they can't dive in cold water. Typically, I dive in lakes in the summertime from June to early September when the water is somewhat warmer, so I plan to visit the site in late June when there would be a bit more of a surface thermocline. Every spring, I start prepping for the areas I'd like to visit and get my cold water gear out and do some workup dives. The water at both recreational and technical diving depths can be quite chilly. Doing the prep work for technical dives and longer dive times allows me to get used to the bulkiness of the thick undergarments again and the use of dry gloves. So going from no gloves to wet gloves to dry gloves is a, a major decline in dexterity. Well, yeah. So doing simple things become a task now, especially if you're not used to it, right? right, right. When, when just grabbing a clip mm -mm. becomes a task... You have to be really mentally prepared for that. And you have to practice. And that's where the yeah. practice dives come in that she mentioned, right? Yeah. So so doing those warm-up dives and practice dives is mandatory for diving this type of water. True. She says, I've spent a lot of years perfecting my cold water kit and experimenting with different types of undergarments, dry gloves, and heated vests. I guess I should mention that I grew up diving in Florida as a warm water diver and cave diver. I dove in a dry suit, but if the water temperature was lower than 70 degrees, I thought it was freezing. <laughs> so she's somewhat typical, I think, in that respect, in that mindset, like below 70, burr. Right, right. Even in a dry suit, 
Yeah. Whereas above 60, whoa, baby. <laughs> that's wetsuit material. Yeah, you're, you're, <laughs> it's funny how conditioned you can get to just a couple True. of degrees temperature, you know, mm-hmm. uh, as, as a diver. And it's funny, too, that just a couple of degrees, depending on where it's at, makes such a huge difference. You know, to me, 42 to 38 is huge. Oh, no huge. doubt about it. Yeah. You know, that's um, like the breaking point right there, that 38, 39, when you start. To, that's and, a big one for yeah. me. Like, I'm more like at that 45 zone. Like, yeah. Like 45 I to 50, you. it's it's, it's okay, cold, yeah. but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be all right. But get below if 45. <laughs> if it's 44, if you, t- yeah. if you told me today it's 45, I'd be like, all right, okay. let's go dive. Yeah. If you said it was 44, I'd be like, well, I, I don't do want to wear all the extra gear. I do have some <laughs> things I got to do. Exactly. I don't want to wear all that extra warmth, warm gear or cold water kit, but yeah, I hear you. About 10 years ago, I moved to Philadelphia, she says, and began doing more cold water diving in the lakes, quarries, and ocean. I dive with a rebreather and was used to long bottom times, but I quickly found out my limiting factor was cold, wet hands. So I began using dry gloves and trying out different kinds of liners to see what worked best in cold temperatures. In 2012, we were hired for a job in Alaska filming the Bering Sea gold under the ice for the Discovery Channel. The seawater was 28 degrees Fahrenheit, and we spent a month filming and diving several times a day in those freezing conditions. I quickly discovered my fourth element Halo 3D with zero therm underneath kept me comfortable. My hands were still frozen, though, especially gripping cold aluminum camera handles Mm -hmm. for an hour at a time. Yeah, those that metal, like I said earlier, that metal conducts is a heat that, sink. Yeah, yeah, it conducts that heat it sucks away, it, like right out of you. Even you know, topside when I'm doing a game with my kids or whatever, outside in forty degree temperatures with gloves on, that hand, that camera body is magnesium, and it just sucks the heat out of my one hand badly, and the fingers are using on the you know I'm using on my lens, but. It's amazing what that metal, even through gloves and even in water, just sucks the heat away. Yeah, and she mentioned she's using that fourth element halo mm-hmm. undergarment, which is a n- nice heavy-duty warm. Shout out. Shout out to the fourth element crew. Old old Paul that I was uh, chatting with that uh, Dima talking about scuba and rugby and nice. <laughs> other people. They get it. By the way, they have a new halo. Shout out again, mm-hmm. uh, New Halo 2, which looks just kick-ass, by the way. Groovy. But she does also mention that she's also wearing that zero therm underneath. And a lot of people don't realize how valuable having yeah. that base layer on under your Wicking undergarment. Layer, yeah. yeah, to not really keep you warmer because of its warmth, but right. what it does to keeping that moisture off your body and wicking right. away and allowing the undergarment, the main undergarment, to really do the vastness of its work Mm -hmm. a few years later she says uh, she was shooting in the arctic again i had a santi heated vest and heated gloves as a photographer i can't speak highly enough about the gloves and having functional fingers i found that there are ways to dress properly for cold water diving so that it is enjoyable i always do workup dives and make sure my dry suit is dry and i get used to the dry gloves 
I know they can look intimidating at first, but I find I have more function and I truly stay warmer. I agree. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, wholeheartedly. I remember going, being in her exact shoes there, going, I've got to get out of these wet gloves and going into the dry glove. You know, you didn't want to do it. You were reluctant because of the dexterity loss, right? Right. Well, it's the dexterity loss and the bulkiness of bulkiness. the ring system. That yeah, you gotta, trying to that get to, to stage bottles and yeah. with that ring is a pain. Uh, so finding a, I know they've got some flexible rings now, things like that, that seem to help, but I'm still in my old ring system. Well, I, I think it's a matter it. of exactly what, what she mentions. It's, it's a matter of doing the workup dives, putting, right. putting the practice in and just making as difficult as it is. If you do it enough times, it's routine. Right. right, you figure it out. It's like students that I just had, you know, a couple of weeks ago going through the essentials for the first time. You know, they're new to backplate and wing, new to the long hose, clipping up bolt snaps. They're used to these retractor doodles zipping their uh, gauges yeah. in and out, and so now they're trying to finally get a clean system that they can grow with. And just clipping up a bolt snap is a five to ten minute job. You know, in the when, beginning, when it should yeah. be you know a, a couple of seconds. But yeah, at the beginning, it's difficult because it's new and it's not trained into you yet. But it's so much easier to have a nice steel cable <laughs> that zips in and out <laughs> that that doesn't get caught on everything. <laughs> yeah. As far as heated vests, gloves, and entire undersuits go, I've used them all. She says they can be very nice, but plan your dive as if you didn't have them. So yeah. if any of them fail, you're not freezing. Yes, because they are a failure point. Like yeah. Any technology, yeah. com, you know, the more complex you make your diving, the more failure points you've got. Correct. You, you have to go into the dive assuming the worst. Right. Having the heat is it's nice. a luxury. Is, is a luxury. <laughs> and I tell you what, anymore, I mean, I use the heat on the surface. Yeah. Between dives. Because I, I really feel that like underwater, like that water's conducting the heat out of you. Yeah, it's just sucking so that heat fast, from the... So you're just, you feel like the hot spots of where the wires are. But to me, like I would rather on the, like save all that battery, mm-hmm. get on the surface between dives, get It'd a bunch toasty. of gas in the suit mm-hmm. and just crank that heater in between. Right. So you don't ever really get cold for between dives. And she also know. mentions about the decompression properties of, of the heat that you have to be aware of. She says that also studies are showing yeah. that it's best not to use the heat during the bottom portion of your dive and wait to use it on decompression. Because right, it's not good to be warm, having a lot of blood flow, and then at the end when you're right. trying to decompress, go cold and have all that vasoconstriction, not allowing... The gas exchange, the, right? Right. Not allowing the bubbles to dissolve. Yeah, so you're better to be cold and then warm up at the end. Mm-hmm. If, like if you're not able to stay warm the whole... Right. Like keep that warmth... If you choose a time, so, yes, make it during deco. Right, exactly. Inhibit the uh, the absorption and... And increase the increase blood flow the, when you're trying to get rid of stuff. Yeah, degassing, the off-gassing. She closes out by saying, fast forward to today. When I plan to dive in the Great Lakes, I plan my dives on a total runtime and how long I want to be in the water, including decompression. I typically like to do 90 to 100-minute runtimes so that I'm not freezing during deco. That means we're doing anywhere from 25 to 35 minutes in 170 to 200 feet of water. I also like to plan ahead, especially with the camera, by guessing what some good settings might be once I hit the target depth. That way, I'm not wasting time fiddling with the camera on deep, cold dives. Diving in the Great Lakes is my personal favorite diving on the planet. And if you can stay comfortable, then the whole experience is even more incredible. And yeah, when you get down 150 feet, 
to 200 feet, mm-hmm. and you got to take five minutes just to, just to screw around with a camera, you just lost a, a ton of time. Or that's going to be you know 200 feet of water. That's another 10 minutes of decompression you're going to yeah. have to do later on in the dive. Yeah, the, like we always say, the clock is loud and big when you're deco diving or tech diving in the Great Lakes, where the temperature is really cold. Where yeah, because that's another you're ten minutes with things. That's you, another ten minutes yeah. in cold ass water that you got to sit. Right, right. And do you have? You, well, of course, you've got to make sure you plan the dive with the adequate gas quantities. Otherwise, troubles snowball. Yeah, I, I, and all because. It, your fingers are getting cold or you're in dry gloves and you're not used to it and you've got a few bolt snaps that don't snap quickly. You know, you don't put on or off quickly. And like she said, photography, that's definitely always a key, uh, fumbling with the, the controls, trying to adjust your F-stop, your ISO, or whatever you're doing to try to get that shot because lighting conditions change the deeper you go. So if you can kind of guesstimate, probably saves, you know, even if it saves two to three minutes. Huge. That's huge. Huge on a dive like that. Yeah, no doubt about it. All good points. Yeah, she does a really good job mentioning how much planning goes Mm -hmm. into the dive from the length of the dive, knowing the decompression that she wants to do, right? That's what you really got to do is I've got got this much decompression I'm going to do, right? Which is going to mean this is what I can do on the bottom based off of what I want to take for decompression. And then knowing that you're going to have certain conditions i want to get certain pictures not just going down with a camera and mm-hmm. going uh snap snap, snap. well <laughs> just hoping you're going to get something but in really defense of plan. that with a lot of people to include i've been to that you know at that i'm just taking my camera i don't know what we're going to see i don't know yeah no what we're going to run into so i'm taking my camera and if we get a couple great shots awesome if we don't that's awesome i'm going to go down and take a look first right and yeah and yeah then plan right. your plan another dive right well certainly yeah. if it's your first time on yeah, a dive yeah. you don't know what to expect but i think she's also I, I mean this should be reiterated you're taking into account how much time you want to spend in that cold of water or how much time you can spend in that cold of water safely and comfortably yes or relatively comfortably i should say Right, and that comes from your workup dives, practicing in the yeah, cold no water. About right, it, yeah. you don't just jump into thirty-eight degree water. You're freezing in fifteen water. minutes. Probably not a good idea to plan a thirty-five minute right. dive and to keep going just because you planned it. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And you yes. didn't get your shot. You have all those, you know, factors pressuring you. Those external factors, like I want these shots, and I know I'm freezing, but I planned for a longer dive, even though I didn't take into account I was going to be so cold. Well, when you get in the moment, people do have a tendency to make bad decisions or, or oh, yeah. they have a, you know, that, that cold gets in the way of them making good decisions is what I should say, right? Oh, yeah. Well, the hypothermia, one of the symptoms is foolish decisions. You know, your indecisiveness or your inability to, to think clearly and, and focus kind of thing. Yeah, if you do a, yeah. I mean, you do a 30-minute dive in 200 feet of water, and, you're like, and you like just last the 30 minutes, like, oh, it's, I'm cold. I got I to gotta yeah. call this dive. Well, now you've got an hour before you can even get out get of the up, water. Right. right. So that, it's too long. You can't do your diving like that. And if you've started to drop core body temperature, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, you're you, you're really not thinking a, straight. Yeah. So a lot more risk involved with these cold waters in the Great Lakes and but a lot to be seen you know things that norm I shouldn't say normal but the average diver the average ocean diver isn't seeing right right yeah. so cold water divers do get to it's easier to go cold water than to warm water isn't it so the cold water divers are cold. able to really open their yeah no doubt about it 
experiences up. Well, very good stuff, Becky. <laughs> shot. <laughs> Becky Kagan shot. Yes. Thank I'm going to go much. with shot. You, you go with Scott. I'm hoping Becky listens to this. <laughs> And uh, I'm going to go, go with Becky. Well, yes. Becky until is always, I, until I it's always the safe it, bet. Until I, think. I personally hear it from We her. can't mess up Becky too much, too badly. Although, let us work on it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Becky. That sounds like a challenge. <laughs> exactly. No. Okay. And uh, shout out to Wreck Diving Magazine. Um, those are some great people, too. Uh, met up with them at the show. Uh, had some really nice conversations. That's a really uh, good you magazine. Can get the, you yeah. can, it's always well put together. It has great photographs in it. And it's about diving. Of course, shipwreck diving, but hardcore diving. Yes, yeah, so you can check them out at wreckdivingmag.com. W-R-E-C-K, divingmag, M-A-G.com, all one word. Are they uh, U.S.-based or are they Brit? Tell, send, a, send a message to, uh, no, they're uh, U.S. Okay. They're they live down south now, but they used to live. Is it in, Kurt? They used to live right here in Michigan for a while. Yeah, it's time. Kurt. No, Kurt. Uh, it's not no, him. No, it's um. This is um, Joe Porter, Joe and Heidi. Oh, so hmm. send so send a message over to Joe and Heidi Porter. Tell them you heard about their magazine on our show. Uh, a couple of real nice people used to be yeah. from Michigan. They're not any longer, but uh, still putting out a really nice wreck diving magazine. Yeah, I thought that was Kurt Bowen with uh, Advance. He did Advance Diver Magazine, but. You know, that's who I, I went diving with when I did my uh, original INTD Trimix course. It was with Kurt Bowen oh, yeah? in his boat. That was the boat. Like, there was no door <laughs> through the transom or anything. And the transom was, like, like up to here. So he had that he had that crane to haul you into the boat. wasn't wasn't great. <laughs> he was used to it. I mean, he made it look easy. These guys made it look easy, like get out of the gear in the water and say, you know, crank it up. But no, no, it's a big old drop. And, you know, you, you back rolled like six feet into the water. <laughs> you did like a two and a half double gainer. Whatever yeah, it's called the triple lindy. Exactly. Anyway. Okay. So, hey, everybody. Uh, thanks for listening to this uh, great story about the wreck, about diving the wreck of the Daniel J. Morell. And thanks, Becky Kagan Shot. Yes. For writing for great, writing this and, great and, and some great photography. Yes. Uh, check it out if you haven't. Again, this is from issue 41. Uh, the, the magazine comes out quarterly. Good stuff. Give them some support. Yeah, if you don't, you know, they're all over this. Becky is, anyway, all over the um, internet. You can Big, find a bunch of stuff in social media from her. So yeah, follow yeah, she's her. All, she's yeah, got if, some great stuff. Yeah, if you haven't yeah. seen any of her photography, you're really missing out. And big thanks to. Heidi the Swede and Rod for our awesome coffee and uh, holiday card. Thank you guys so much. Uh, again. I just love her name, Heidi the Swede. That is awesome. I want. I wish I had a good nickname. James the James the what? The Irishman. James the <laughs> Leprechaun. We diddly diddly. James the Jamesy. The you got, a, you got one. Brando. Uh, it's a blankety blank. You can't say it. We shouldn't say it. We do say it. <laughs> I think it's blankety, 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 (laughs) Brandon. (laughs) Yeah, it's more like it. All right, everybody. We'll see you next week. Safe diving, folks.
Let's get in an argument about that. Fucking, sh- it's shot. 